we're going to pull our title out of verse 3. The Bible says, Woe to the rebellious children, saith the Lord, that take counsel, but not of me, and that cover with the covering, but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin, that walk to go down into Egypt, and have not asked at my mouth to strengthen themselves in the strength of Pharaoh, and trust in the shadow of Egypt. Our title will come out of verse 2, actually. Verse 3, Therefore shall the strength of Pharaoh be your shame, and the trust in the shadow of Egypt your confusion. You see the word shadow there in both verse 2 and verse 3, and from there we get our title, The Sin of Trusting Shadows. The Sin of Trusting Shadows. Uh, God wants us to trust Him, and as we'll see as we get into the passage, Israel made an alliance with Egypt, and then when push came to shove and they needed Egypt, Egypt was nowhere to be found. They were just left with Egypt's shadow, and that's just as Isaiah prophesied. And God wants us to trust Him, not trust human alliances, but Him first. Amen? In every area, in every area, whether that be our money, whether it be our health, whether it be our relationships, we are to go to the Lord first. And so we'll see that thought um, explained tonight. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the Bible. Thank you that uh, even in a passage written, uh, Lord, some uh, 2,700 years ago, we can still pull from it truths that are applicable to our lives today. And so, Lord, give us the mental focus, the mental sharpness tonight. I know many folks have been working, and uh, Lord, um, some physical, some mental labor, but all of us have worked today, many of us have worked today, and so Lord, help us to have the energy we need to gather from your word, garner from your word the truths that will help us to be more like you and prod us and encourage us, energize us for the rest of our week. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Well, we've got a lot uh, to cover, and on top of the outline there in front of you, I have sub-points to sub-points that we left off, uh, so uh, get your pen ready and let's jump right in talking about the sin of trusting shadows. Notice number one, Israel's reliance. Israel's reliance. Now we're looking at five woes, and that word woe is a strong admonition. It's a strong warning. And in some cases this warning is because they're already in trouble. In other cases it's meant to prevent them from getting into trouble. They're at the very beginning of a bad choice. And uh, God sends Isaiah along to say, whoa, hold on, slow up. Uh, watch what you're doing. You're making a poor decision. And such is the case here in chapter 30. Both, uh, both uh, the ten northern tribes and the two southern tribes, instead of turning to God for their help against a political foe, instead turn to uh, political alliances, political alliances to try to carry them through. And such was the case uh, with Israel, with Judah. They chose to make a, an alliance or to rely on Egypt instead of turning to the Lord. Let me give you an A, B, and a C here. Notice letter A, their dependence. Their dependence. Look at verse number 1 with me. Woe to the rebellious children, saith the Lord, that take counsel, but not of me, and that cover with a covering, but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin. That they may add sin to sin. Now let me, let me give you um, uh, three thoughts below their dependence here. You can scribble these down where you find a spot. Notice here count, the word counsel. The word counsel. The Bible says, Woe to the rebellious children, saith the Lord, that take counsel. Take counsel, but not of me. But what does that mean? That means that they were in contact in some form with the Egyptians and getting Egyptian opinion, Egyptian wisdom, Egyptian counsel on how to proceed against Assyria, their enemy. They did not turn to the Lord through prayer. They did not go to the God of all counsel, the counselor of all counselors. Instead, they turned to uh, someone who is secular, someone who is godless, someone who is really even idolatrous to get their Counsel, they were not dependent on God. They were not relying on the Lord. Instead, they were relying on the wicked Egyptians for their counsel, but not only for their advice, but also for their covering. Look back at verse 1. Woe to the rebellious children, saith the Lord, that take counsel but not of me, and that cover with a covering 
but not of my spirit. There are a handful of countries around the world that do not have a military. They do not have a military. Instead, they pay another country to be their protection. There's a handful of countries in Central America that do this with the U.S. of A. They pay the U.S. of A what would be their defense budget, and then the U.S. of A is expected to keep watch care and uh, look after them. And here, uh, God, uh, rather Isaiah, is saying to Judah, instead of running to me to be your covering, you're running to Egypt to be your military covering, to help you in your time of trouble. And so we see covering, the word covering. And you have here, um, uh, you have here uh, Isaiah who's instructing them. He's saying, do not run to a political ally. Do not run and depend on Egypt to protect you militarily. Uh, I am your God. You remember way, way back in the book of Joshua and Judges, they didn't have a king, even the beginning of 1 Samuel. They didn't have a king. God was to be their king. And then what happened? They came to God and said, we want a king like all the other countries. And this broke Samuel's heart. And Samuel said, well, is this something I've done? And, 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 and they said, no, Samuel, we, we, we don't want your children to rule over us because they're not as honest as you are. We want a king like all the other countries. And um, he explained to them all the downsides of that. And what am I getting at here? Originally, Israel did not turn to a king of themselves or a king of another country. When they had a need, they turned to the Lord. You remember throughout the book of Judges, you remember that cycle. We went over this some time ago. The cycle, right, where they would, they would sin, and then they would go into captivity, and then they would repent, and then they would be restored. You all remember the idea there? And when they were in captivity, did they turn to a political alliance? No, they turned to God. And what did God do every time? He delivered them. He delivered them. Here we have Israel. They're not Judah. They're not turning to the Lord for political protection. They're not turning to the Lord for military protection. They're turning to Egypt. Egypt. We're going to talk about why that's such a problem in just a moment. But we've seen counsel. We've seen covering. As I study this out, I ask this question, Judah, Israel, why? Why would you turn, when you were founded on Jehovah God, calling Genesis 12, calling Abraham, and then Isaac, and then Jacob, and then drawing them out of Egypt, as we saw Sunday morning, uh, we looked at so eloquently how they were called out of Egypt, and then uh, how God set them up for success in their promised land. Why would you turn back to Egypt do you not know? Of course they knew the history. Why would you do that? What was the motivation? Well, we see here counsel covering. Notice the word concealment. Look back at verse 1. Look there. Woe to the rebellious children, saith the Lord, that take counsel but not of me, and take cover with a, with a, with a covering but not of my spirit. Look here. That they may add sin to sin. That they may add sin to sin. Here we find the reason why they would not turn to God. Here's the reality. When you're going through a hardship in your life, I'm going to make it personal to us and then back apply it to Israel. When you're going through a hardship in your life, if you're living in sin, you will not go to God in prayer. Because to go to God in prayer means that to get His help, you got to get the sin confessed. You all with me tonight? you got to get the sin confessed. And Israel was living in rebellion against God. The last thing they wanted to do was run to God for His counsel and His covering because they knew that meant they were going to have to confess their sin. And they had no desire to confess their sin. They wanted to add sin to sin. They wanted to continue in their iniquity. They wanted to continue in their wrongdoing. And so going to God was not an option. Was not an option. Listen, uh, you will not go to God in prayer when you're going through a hardship, if you're living in sin, you will, you will do everything but. You may come, even come, go as far as coming to the pastor. 
You may go to a, a Christian friend. You may go see a, a, an elder in the church, uh, uh, someone who's been saved a long time in the Lord. Uh, you, you, may, uh, you may turn to a secular counselor, a secular psychiatrist, a secular therapist. And I'm not uh, condemning any of these people. But listen, your first consideration ought not be any of those people, including the pastor. Your first consideration ought to be the Lord God Almighty. You ought to run into His presence and you ought to be dependent on Him. You ought to rely on Him, not some, not some flesh and blood. We see Israel's reliance. We see letter A out of verse 1, their dependence. Letter B, we see their direction. Their direction. Look at verse number 2. It says there, that walk, and, and I have this underlined in my Bible, to go down into Egypt. Notice that phrase, to go down into Egypt, and have not asked at my mouth to strengthen themselves in the strength of Pharaoh, and trust in the shadow of Egypt. Isaiah says this is nothing more than a shadow. This is a hoax. You have the the idea that because you've sent money, and we'll see the money flow in just a moment when we get into letter C, but just because you're sending money to Egypt, you have some idea that they're going to run and help you in your time of trouble. That's nothing more than a shadow. Why did they do that? Because they were going down into Egypt. Look at verse 6. Verse 6. The burden of the beasts of the south. That term, beasts of the south, is the prophet's description of the leaders of Egypt, the beasts of the south, into the land of trouble and anguish, from whence come the young and old lion, these animals describe the devil, the young uh, and old lion, the viper and fiery flying serpent, they will carry their riches upon the shoulders of young asses and their treasures upon the uh, bunches of camels to a people that shall not Profit them. There were there were people traveling through Israel, through Judah, on into Egypt, and they were giving their money to these Egyptian diplomats to be taken back into Egypt, into Cairo, uh, for exchange of a promise of Cairo's protection. And here, what uh, Isaiah is saying is that Judah, Israel, you are making a deal with the devil. You're making a deal with the old and young lion. You're making a deal with the flying, fiery serpent. You're making a deal with the devil. He's saying you're going down into Egypt. By the way, uh, almost every time, not every time, but almost every time that you find someone in Israel going into Egypt, and I say almost every time because Jesus is the exception, but almost every time you find someone going from Israel into Egypt, they're backsliding. They're backsliding. You remember Abraham? He went to Egypt. Uh, you have various stories of going down into Egypt. And lo and behold, you're going back into the world. Because why? Egypt is a picture of the world. Picture of the world. Picture of sinfulness. We know the story of the Israelites. They, uh, the, the ten plagues that fell on Pharaoh and their departure of Egypt. And they're crossing the Red Sea. God does not want you to go back to this, the world of wickedness. He wants you to come from that and totally leave it. And here, they're in a time of trouble. Assyria is pressing, threatening, getting ready to come down on them. And, and lo and behold, the Israelites, instead of turning to the Lord... They go back to the country that had once enslaved them. They go back toward bondage. They turn to Egypt. They're heading in the wrong direction. We see their dependence, their direction, letter C. Notice their disappointment. Their disappointment. Look at verse 3. The Bible says, Therefore shall the strength of Pharaoh be your shame, and the trust in the shadow of Egypt your confusion. For the princes were at Zoan, and his ambassadors came to Hanes, they were all ashamed of a people that could not profit them, nor be in help, nor profit, but a shame and also a reproach. Look down to verse 7. For the Egyptians shall help in vain, and to no purpose. Therefore have I cried concerning this, their strength is to sit still. They, they are going to end up doing nothing for you. You're turning to Egypt, and you're turning to them is going to be 100% in vain. They will not help you. It will be a total waste of your time and a waste of your money. Waste of your money. By the way, if you go back and read the story of Hezekiah, Hezekiah actually breaks gold away from the temple to give to the Egyptians in order to pay for them to help him. And they did nothing to help him. They did nothing to help him. There was nothing but 
disappointment. And, and listen, the application is very obvious. When we turn to, when we turn to people before we turn to God, uh, we are being set up to be let down. We're being set up to be let down. Now listen, you're better go off going to a Christian counselor, someone who's biblically based and, and biblically oriented and going to give you biblical advice than you are to someone who is secular and not going to give you solid biblical wisdom. But can I tell you that if we could tear this, going to someone who is secular and does not believe in the Bible and is going to offer you the wisdom of man is your worst option. Going to someone who's a Christian counselor, a Christian therapist, a pastor, a someone who is a tree planted by the river of water, bringing forth fruit in their season. That would be the second best option, uh, the middle tier option, but the best option is for you first and foremost to run to the throne of God and rely on Him through prayer. I'm so glad that through times in my life where I've needed help to get through a challenge, where I have felt like Satan and his enemies were attacking me, I'm so thankful that I have the avenue of prayer. And listen, I, I say this um, uh, carefully, but I believe this is a true statement. Christians don't pray enough. We just don't pray enough. One way to know whether or not you pray enough in your troubles is that when a hardship hits you, what is the very first thing that you do? Do, do you run to... Do you run to some coping mechanism, entertainment, um, uh, recreational drug, food? Uh, um, uh, they call them comfort foods, right? And I have my comfort foods that I enjoy just like everyone else does. Do, do you run to a person? Do you pick up a phone? Some people, and I'm, I'm glad that I'm more oblivious to this now, but I'm, I'm, I'm reaching back in time in my life to when I was on social media. Amen? Some people, they pick up their phone or they get on their computer and they run to social media with their problem and verbal vomit all over the internet, whatever their problem is, usually in a vague way, right? Uh, I, I wish people wouldn't blah, 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 blah. They don't want to say exactly who it is or what it is. So they're vague, but they're running to the, the internet. They're running to... How many of you have seen people do that before? I, everyone on social media has seen people do that, right? And, and they're hoping for comments of pity and, and, and outrage. And Listen, God does not want you running to social media. He doesn't want you running to any coping mechanism other than prayer. Prayer. You all with me tonight? Prayer. Prayer is the first place we go. Because like Israel, like Judah, running to the world for help, Christians are not to run to the world. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. First John 2 tells us, If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the part of life, these are things we're not to run to. We're to run to the Lord first. Now, I want to make sure I clarify here. The Bible says that in a multitude of counselors, there is safety. But notice the order. You go to God in prayer first and you bathe that thing in prayer. And then you go to counselors that you know also will bathe your problem in prayer. And you make sure that that thing is before God before it is before man. There is Israel's reliance. Number two, we see Israel's rebellion. Israel's rebellion. Verse 1 says, Woe to the rebellious children. Look down at, at verse number 8. Verse number 8. Um, it says, Now go write it before them in a table and note it in a book that it may, may be for uh, the time to come forever and ever that this is a rebellious people. Let me give you here an A, B, C, and a D. Notice letter A, Isaiah's Sign, Isaiah's sign. Look back at verse 8. Go, now go, God says to Isaiah, write it before them in a table and note it in a book that it may be for the time to come forever and ever. What he's saying here is make a placard. Make a giant sign. The size of a table. Write down their transgressions. Write out their rebellion. Put it right in front of their face, right outside our church is a stone that Pastor Brown and the members who were part of our church had put out there. I believe it was Pastor Brown. It may have been Pastor Pezlake. Well, one of the previous pastors had a stone put out there that is a dedication to this 
building that we're in right now being built. And uh, there's a placard, a sign that you see uh, uh, of that sort. This was not a positive sign. This was not a sign of dedication or memorial. This was a placard, a sign that had written out their transgressions against God, that spelled out their rebellion. And uh, God wanted Isaiah to make this uh, a placard, also write it in a book, and go about and let everyone know the grief that God had with Israel, the the accusations he had against Israel, the the, the sin uh, choices they had made, it was to be put right back in their face. Don't you love it when you've done wrong and someone comes and tells you everything you've done wrong? Don't you enjoy that, right? Someone, uh, if you're married here, you know what that's like, amen? You know what it's like to have your spouse tell you everything you've done wrong, don't you? And um, maybe, uh, maybe emphatically, I can see husbands and wives putting this in. Well, Isaiah did it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to write down everything wrong that you've done in the last 24 hours on a big sign, and I'm going to put it around my neck, and I'm going to make you read it every time you see me, right? Not good marriage advice. I don't recommend you do that. Uh, but uh, that's in essence what was going on here is here's what you did. It's being waved right back in your face. Here's what you're doing. Let me show you what you're doing. Why God is not happy with you, Isaiah's sign, letter B, we see the nation's sin. Verses 9 through 11 lays out for us what was on Isaiah's sign. Look at verse number 9, Isaiah chapter 30. That This is a rebellious people. We know what rebellion, you know what rebellion means? It means that you reserve the right to be the final authority. You reserve the right to be the final authority. When you see a teenager who's rebellious, you know what they're saying? The principal of the school is not my final authority. Mom and dad are not my final authority. God is not my final authority. I am the final authority. I will decide what's best for me. That's rebellion. That's rebellion. Anytime that you look at God-given authority and refuse to do what they say, you're living in rebellion. And that's where, exactly where Israel was. They were living in rebellion against God. Verse 9, verse 9. This is a rebellious people. Look here. Lying children. And that word children is uh, the children of Israel, not just the, not just the youth of the country. Children that will not hear the law of the Lord. Which say to the seers, see not. And to the prophets, prophesy not. Unto us the right things. Speak unto us as smooth, speak unto smooth things. Prophesy deceit. Get you out of the way. Turn aside out of the path. Cause the Holy One of Israel to cease from before us. I have a couple of sub-points to letter B. Write, write these down if you can somewhere under the nation's sin. First notice they rejected truth. They rejected truth. Verse 9 again. Rebellious people, lying children, children that will not hear the law of the Lord, will not hear the law of the Lord. They say to the seers, or those that can see in the future, again, the old seer is an Old Testament concept, uh, another word for prophet in some ways. Uh, seers, see not. D- don't tell us what you see. Quit looking at the, in, uh, the incoming judgment. Don't tell us anymore. And to the prophets or preachers, prophesy not. Stop your sermons. Stop telling us the right things. Uh, prophesy not unto us right things. Speak unto us smooth things. Prophesy deceits. They rejected truth. We live in a society that is rejecting truth. They don't want to hear the truth. They don't want to hear the truth. I find it uh, interesting that when someone is living in rebellion, they don't want to come to church. They don't want to come to this church because we preach truth. Someone asked me the other day, they say, Pat, uh, I, I got asked a question by a family that's looking at our church. They said, uh, what do you do with someone who's living in sexual sin at your church? Do you allow them to attend? And I said, well, well sure. As long as they're not coming into church and hanging all over each other, they're more than welcome to come to church, whatever their sin is. But that's not going to change the message. We're going to preach the truth. We're going to preach it in love, but we're going to preach the truth. And I said, but i got to tell you, because we preach the truth enough, people who are living in sexual sin just generally quit coming. It's funny, when you preach the truth, people who are living in error, they run from the truth. And they, they don't want to hear it. And they reject truth. They reject truth. And we live in a society and a world that has rejected truth out of hand. By the way, who is truth? Not just what is truth. The Bible is truth, but who is truth? Jesus is truth. And it's no wonder they have rejected our Jesus. 
They've pushed him away. Uh, they, they, they've labeled him as uh, some horrible person. and They've discredited him every way they can. And the nation of Israel, the nation of Judah, they had rejected truth. They had rejected truth. They told the preachers to quit preaching. They told the prophets to quit seeing in the future the judgment coming. They had their fingers in the ear. They did not want to hear the truth. They did not want to know the truth because they were their own authority. They did not want God to be the authority. But not only did they reject truth, they requested deceit. They requested deceit. Look down at verse number 10. It says here, uh, uh, "...which say to the seers, see not, and the prophets prophesy not." Unto us right things, speak unto us smooth things, prophesy deceits. Get you out of the way, turn aside out of the path. Cause the Holy One of Israel to cease from before us. Speak unto us smooth things. When I read that, I think of two things. First, I think of the story of Ahab, where he's meeting with Jehoshaphat. You all know the story? Ahab and Jehoshaphat, they're coming together. The Israel and Judah are coming together. And uh, Jehoshaphat says, well, shouldn't we ask the Lord whether or not we should go up against the armies of Syria? And uh, he says, yeah, let's do it. So they invite these scare quotes, right? They invite these prophets. And 300 of them come pouring into the room. And they're having a pep rally for these two kings. They're jumping up and down and, and acting foolish. Yeah, God says go and... You're going to get the victory. And uh, Jehoshaphat looks at Ahab and says, Don't you have one real prophet anywhere? Right? These 300 men are prophesying deceit. They're prophesying a lie. They're telling you what you want to hear. You remember Ahab's response? Well, yeah, there's this one guy, but I hate him. Because he never says anything positive. And so then they, they send for this prophet. And the messenger that's getting the prophet uh, tells, uh, the, tells the prophet, he says, now you make sure you tell the king what he wants to hear. And so he walks in front of uh, Ahab and Jehoshaphat. And Ahab and uh, Jehoshaphat say, well, uh, should we go up and fight the armies? And, and the prophet just sarcastically says, yeah, go ahead and go. You're going to win. And Ahab says, quit playing games with me and tell me the truth. And then he ends up locking the prophet in jail. Uh, but, but what? The, the, Ahab did not want to hear the truth. He was requesting deceit. He wanted lies. And I, we live in a world today where people want to have their ears massaged, their ears Tickled. Have you noticed? Have you noticed that people come and go from this church? Come and go from this church. Now, some of that we can work to improve to retain more people, and we're going to work to improve to retain more people. But can I tell you that while operationally we can do some things a little bit better, can I tell you the main reason why people come and go through White Oak Baptist Church? Because they're looking for a church where they can have their ears tickled. They don't want to hear hard preaching. They don't want to hear truth. They want to go into church, and they want to sit on a pew. Watch this now. They want to be entertained. They want to be entertained. Have you noticed the entertainment that goes on, even at this church? Now, I don't seek to entertain, but I have found that on a Sunday morning... If I'm going to keep the crowd engaged, I've got to crack some jokes here and there. I've got to slip humor in. If I were just to get up and just, for an hour, like I do on Sunday nights sometimes, boy, a lot of these new people, they, they just up and leave. They wouldn't like that very much. There's an entertainment factor that goes on even in this church. But boy, try some of the mega churches in our area. You're entertained for 40 or 45 minutes before the pastor even gets up. And then when the pastor gets up, have you noticed they don't have pulpits in these churches? They have a little glass lectern. And then that gets moved out of the way, and the pastor sits on a bar stool, right? And he gives a TED Talk for about 10 minutes and throws a Bible verse in there. You know why they don't have pulpits in these churches? They don't have pulpits because they don't have any preaching. Why would you have a pulpit if there's not going to be any preaching? I borrowed that from Charlie Clark, amen? Uh, there's no pulpit, so there's no preaching. And uh, they are not looking 
for truth. I look down at a certain church in Houston, Texas that runs thirty to 40,000 people and the pastor never preaches against anything. He just says, you can make it one more week. Right? And what else does he say? He says, if God had a refrigerator, your picture would be on the front of it. If God had a cell phone, your face would be on his lock screen. And it's just a foo-foo, patch you along one more week. And this is what was going on in Israel here. Right before uh, their fall, they, they had preachers, but they were preaching smooth deceits. Smooth deceits. Hey, one sign you found a good church is when you get your toes stepped on sometimes and you leave and it's hurting a little bit. Amen? If that's not happening, you need to find another church or maybe you've just arrived and there's no toes to step on. All right? Amen? You got it all figured out. You're godly. And uh, no matter what the pastor preaches on, boy, you're just an A-plus a Christian. So uh, no, no toes to get stepped on. But we see uh, it, the nation's sin. They had rejected truth. They requested deceit. I'm going to make one tiny application to the U.S. of A. before we move on. I think that many Christians, many Americans, I'll, I'll back up, many Americans think that somehow our country is, in, that is, our country is, uh, let's see, uh, invulnerable, is, 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 is above uh, reproach, is above falling. I, I'm searching for the right word here. Uh, that somehow we're just going to uh, water off a duck's back, we're going to be around forever. Israel rejected truth. Israel requested deceit. And Israel fell into bondage. By the way, regime after regime, power after power, country after country who reigned supreme fell the exact same way. And I look at our country. Right is called wrong and wrong is called right. I look at our country and preachers are afraid to preach truth. Preachers are controlled by deacon boards and preachers are controlled by the big givers in churches and preachers are controlled by the culture at large and preachers, I'm talking about even some independent Baptist preachers, they won't say certain things because they care more about growing a church than they do about pleasing the Lord with giving all of the Word of God, all of the truth. We are setting ourselves up for failure. We're setting ourselves up for letter C. We see uh, uh, Isaiah's sign, the nation's sin, letter C, the nation's suffering. The nation's suffering. Let me give you two thoughts below that. First of all, notice their wall shattered. Their wall shattered. Now, when we talk about their wall being Shattered. We're talking about their defense mechanism, right? You all know in Bible times they would build a wall in a circle or a square around a city. And really cities were gigantic fortresses and uh, they had gates to to, to let uh, commerce in and out. But that wall protected them from the enemy. There were no fighter jets or missiles, they had to worry about any sort of an air raid. All, the, all of the troops would have been ground and coming in on the ground, so they built these walls. And God says to, to, to Judah, listen, that wall that you've built and that armament you've supplied, it's all going to come falling apart. Look at verse number 12. Look at verse number 12 of Isaiah 30. The Bible says, Wherefore thus saith the Holy One of Israel, because ye despise this word, and trust in oppression and perverseness and stay thereon. You're perverted. You're trusting in oppression of the poor, oppression of truth. Uh, and, and you won't move off of it. You, you won't listen to the preacher. You, you want to shut up the preacher. You, you want to shut up the seer. Uh, you, you want to live in deceit. Look at verse 13. Therefore this iniquity shall be to you as a breach ready to fall, or a gaping hole in a wall, ready to fall, swelling out in a high wall, whose breaking, the wall breaking, whose breaking cometh suddenly at an instant. That wall is going to explode. It, it's going to come falling apart all at once. 14, and he shall break it, speaking of the wall, their defense system, he shall break it as the breaking of the potter's vessel that is broken in pieces. 
He shall not spare, so that there shall not be found in the bursting of it a shred to take fire from the earth or to take water withal out of the pit. He says here, this wall is going to be shattered on such a level that you won't even be able to pick up a piece of the wall to dip water up or uh, to use for any other purpose. This thing's going to be broken down in such a way it will be irreparable. Irreparable. God says, I'm going to shatter your defense. You're going to suffer because once that wall is gone, you're going to be open game uh, for uh, great punishment. But not only the wall shattered, their confidence would be shaken. Their confidence shaken. Uh, look with me at the next verse there. Uh, verse number um, uh, 15. For thus saith the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest shall ye be saved. In quietness and in confidence shall be your strength. And ye would not. What's Isaiah saying in 15? He's saying, I've told you how to avoid suffering. Turn back to the Holy One of Israel. Return and rest and be saved. Uh, quiet, uh, quietness and confidence. Let that be your strength. But you wouldn't do it. You refused. You, you're rebellious. You're stubborn. You push away from God's plan, verse 16. But you said, no, for we will flee upon horses. We don't need God. We have our horses that we've gotten from Egypt. We will flee upon horses, therefore shall ye flee. And we will uh, ride upon the swift, therefore shall they that pursue you be swift. You're going to ride on a horse, you're going to ride fast. You're ready, but no, the enemy is going to come on you so Quick, that it's not going to matter. Look at 17, and we see their confidence shattered. Uh, one thousand shall flee at the rebuke of one. At the rebuke of five shall ye flee, till ye be left as a beacon upon the top of a mountain and as an ensign on an hill. Your confidence is going to be so shaken or shattered that um, it, it's going to be as simple as one person will be able to chase a thousand of you at one time. Five will, will run you all up on top of a hill and you'll be sitting there shaking and quaking because of the fear of the enemy. Uh, Egypt will have abandoned you and you will be all by yourself. All by yourself. And you know what? When you have done wrong and you do not have God there to help you because you've turned to others. Listen, one thing is for certain. Listen to me tonight. Mankind will let you down. God will never let you down. God will never let you down. Many of you in here have lived long enough to see someone who you trust disappoint you greatly. I have. People that I thought were by my side through thick and thin. My brothers in the Lord's army, spiritual war. And then they turn and it's friendly fire. It hurts. It hurts. Brothers and sisters who sit in church with you and then attack you. My friend, God will never do that to you. He will never let you down. And if your trust is in some bank account, some pension, some retirement plan, some doctor, some workout regimen, some relationship, those things will fall apart on you. God can allow those things to fall apart on you. Your trust is in the Lord, my friend. He will not let you down. We see letter A, Isaiah's sign, letter B, Judah's sin, letter C, Judah's suffering, letter D, notice the Lord's sufferance. The Lord's sufferance. Aren't you glad that God is patient? And that even when we get it wrong, He sits back and waits for us to get it right? I sure am. Look at verse 18. To me, verse 18 is the key verse in the entire chapter. Look at verse 18. And therefore will the Lord wait that He may be gracious unto you. And therefore will He be exalted, that He may have mercy upon you, for the Lord is a God of judgment. Blessed are all they that wait for Him. I see verse 18, and what I, what I read at the conclusion of this 
is that he sees his people living in rebellion. And you know what God says? God says, I'm not going to punish you. I'm going to let your poor choices punish you. You have sowed the field of rebellion. You get to reap the consequences of that. Well, there have been times in my life where inwardly I've been rebellious against the Lord. And you know what? You sow seeds of rebellion and then you've got to deal with a harvest of rebellion. And that hurts. That hurts. God says, I'm not going to come down and punish you. I'm just going to sit back and wait. I'm going to wait for you to have hurt yourself enough. Then when you're quaking on the top of a hill because of the enemies that you've made and you turn to me, I will come in and I will be gracious and merciful and I will love on you. How many of you have lived the Christian life long enough to have made poor choices in your life, to have been damaged by those choices, to only turn to the Lord and have Him wrap you up in His arms? How many of you know what I'm talking about? Isn't that great when that happens? Isn't it great that God doesn't hold a grudge? He doesn't cross His arms and say, I told you so. Right? If you'd have done it my way to begin with, no, no, no. God is there waiting. He's waiting. He's waiting. He's waiting for you to, instead of reject truth and request deceit, to request truth and reject deceit. He's waiting for you to get it to where you're not looking for some smooth talker to make you feel good. No, you're looking for truth to make you free. Praise God for a friend. And praise God for the Bible. And praise God for the Spirit who will put put a finger in your face and say, You are doing wrong. Don't push away from the Spirit of God. Don't push away from the truth, the Word of God. And don't push away from a friend who's giving you the Word of God, counsel from the Word of God, to try to get you straightened out. Boy, God just sits back and He waits. His sufferance, His patience, He is so good to us. Look at verse 18 again. Let, let, let this verse, let your mind marinate on this verse. Meditate on this verse. It says, And therefore will the Lord wait that he may be gracious unto you, and therefore will he be exalted, and that he may have mercy upon you. For the Lord is a God of judgment. Blessed are all they that wait for him. We see, number one, Isaiah's reliance. Number two, Israel's rebellion. Let's move quickly through number three here. Let's see Israel's repentance. Israel's repentance. Now, before we get into 19 through 26... Let me share with you the story out of the Kings and Chronicles about what happened here. All right. So Hezekiah becomes king, and under Hezekiah's rule, he makes an alliance with Egypt. Makes an alliance with Egypt. He's the one Isaiah is talking about here. And um, and then Assyria pushes past the ten northern tribes and begins to uh, take over and take captive uh, the two southern tribes of Judah. And uh, Sennacherib makes it all the way to the wall and he has it surrounded and he's breathing out threatenings in the Jewish language. And then Hezekiah does finally gets it right. He goes running to the Lord and he confesses his sin and God bails out Israel, he, the Israelites. He bails out Judah because they repented. And we read the uh, verses a couple of weeks ago, maybe it was last week, about how God slew the army of uh, Assyria. But why did God do that? Because Israel repented. You know what's amazing? When we quit being so stubborn and we humble our heart and we come to the Lord and we're, 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 we're confessing our sin and we're getting things right with God and we repent, immediately God comes running into our rescue. God's sitting on the outside waiting for us to finally say, all right, Lord, I throw up my hands, I'm not going to fight. Well, um, uh, what happened here? By the way, these verses, I believe, 19 through 26, to describe the millennial reign. But let's look at them here. Letter A, notice, sorrow banished. 
sorrow banished. Look at verse number 19. Verse 19. For the people shall dwell in Zion at Jerusalem. Thou shalt weep no more. There's that sorrow banished. He will be very gracious unto thee at the voice of their cry. When he shall hear it, he will answer thee. We know in the millennial reign, God will ban sorrow from Israel. They will rule with Jesus and their sorrow will be banished. Let her be noticed. Suffering concluded. Suffering concluded. Look at verse number 20. Look at verse 20. Let's read 20 and 21. And though the Lord give you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet shall not thy teachers be removed into a corner any more, but thine eyes shall see thy teachers. The, the rabbis will be put back in place and will teach thee in the kingdom of heaven. Verse 21, And thine ears shall hear a word behind thee. This is the way, walk ye in it, uh, when ye turn to the right hand and when ye turn to the left. You see the idea of the highway all throughout the book of Isaiah. There will be many highways established leading straight into Jerusalem where those who were spiritually blind will now see. Those who were spiritually deaf will now be able to hear suffering concluded. Letter C, we see sin discarded. Sin discarded. Look at, uh, look at verse number 22. Verse 22. Ye shall defile also the covering of thy graven images of silver and the ornament of thy molten images of gold. Thou shalt cast them away as a menstruous cloth. Thou shalt say unto it, Get thee hence. So you're going to take your idols that you worshipped prior to King Jesus being around and you're going to toss them out as though it's a filthy, dirty rag and you're going to bow before the Lord. You will not have anything competing with God. You're going to worship God and God alone. Sin will be discarded. Letter D, we see success enjoyed. Success enjoyed. 23 down through 26, look there. Then shall he give the rain of thy seed, and thou shalt sow thy ground withal, and bread of the increase of the earth, and it shall be fat and plenteous. In that day shall thy cattle feed in large pastures. Notice the success in, in agriculture. 24, uh, the oxen likewise, and the young asses, the ear, uh, uh, that ear the ground, that uh, shall eat clean provender, which hath been uh, winnowed with the shovel and with the fan. And there shall be upon every um, uh, high mountain and upon every high hill rivers and streams of water in the day of the great slaughter when the towers fall. Moreover, the light of the moon shall be as the light of the sun, and the light of the sun shall be sevenfold. The, 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 the brightness, the glory of God lighting up the, the sky. We get the idea here as the light of seven days. In that day that the Lord bindeth up the breach of his people, and he healeth the stroke of their wound. The uh, stroke of their wound. So when G King Jesus comes back, Israel is fully repented. Boy, sorrow will be banished, suffering concluded, sin destroyed. Success enjoyed. Number four, lastly, notice Assyria's retribution. Assyria's retribution. Uh, so Assyria here, I do not believe uh, this is talking about the Assyria of the Old Testament. I believe that this Assyria is speaking of uh, the kingdom of the Antichrist, okay? And how that one day God will judge the nations, judge Assyria, and bring them down, all right? And so let me give you an A to B here. Notice God's anger on display. God's anger on display. Look at verse 27 and 28, and then we'll skip down to verse 30. Behold, the name of the Lord cometh from far burning with his anger, and the burden thereof is heavy. His lips are full of indignation, and his tongue as a devouring fire, and his breath as an overflowing stream shall uh, reach to the midst of the neck to sift the, notice plural, nations, nations with a sieve of vanity, and there shall be a bridle in the jaws of the people causing them to err. Look down at verse 30. By the way, you find the idea of Assyria in verse 31. Verse 30, And the Lord shall cause his glorious voice to be heard, and shall so the light lighting down of his arm with the indignation of his anger and with the flame of a devouring fire uh, with scattering and tempest and hailstones. Quickly turn over to Revelation chapter 19 where we find the battle that is taking place at the end of the world or at the end of the tribulation rather. Revelation 19 and look with me at verse number 
15. And we're noticing the wrath of God, the anger of God. Now, I've read Revelation 19 many times, but I don't know that I paid attention to the emotion of Jesus as he comes down to fight in this battle. Look at verse number 15, and, um, or rather verse number 12, 15, 17, and 18. Okay, Verse 12, look here. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. Skip down to 15. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he should rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress, look here, of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. Look down at verse 17. 17. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather yourselves together into the supper of the great God, that ye may eat the flesh of kings, and the flesh of captains, and the flesh of mighty men, and the flesh of horses, and of them that sit on them, and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. God is angry. God is angry at uh, the Assyria, the Antichrist, will rule and God's going to come down in this valley of Megiddo and He's going to come down in anger and wrath and vengeance because of the Antichrist's war against the Jews and He's going to rain down that anger and destroy the armies of the Antichrist. Notice letter A, God's anger on display. Letter B, notice Satan's Antichrist destroyed. Hold your place in Revelation 19. Go back to Isaiah chapter 30 and look at verse 31. Verse 31, notice For through the voice of the Lord shall the Assyrian be beat down. That Assyrian, I believe, uh, uh, being singular there, the Assyrian, I believe this is speaking of the Antichrist, shall the Assyrian be beat down which smote with a rod. And in every place where the grounded staff shall pass, which the Lord shall lay upon him, it shall be with tabrets and harps. And in battle of shaking will he fight with it. Verse 33, we find the word tophet for Tophet is ordained of old. That word Tophet comes into the uh, into the Greek, uh, the word Gehenna, which means hellfire. Gehenna, hellfire. Uh, and, and there's a whole history behind that word Tophet. Uh, time doesn't allow us to get into it. I encourage you to look into it. For Tophet is ordained of old. Yea, for the king is prepared. Speaking of the Antichrist, he hath made it deep and large. The pile there of his fire and much wood and breath. Of the Lord, like a stream of brimstone doth kindle it. I believe 33 to be describing the location in hell the Antichrist will be placed. Go back to Revelation 19 and look at verse number 19. The Bible says, And I saw the beast, that's the Antichrist, and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against the army. And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, that's part of the the, 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 the satanic trinity, uh, with, with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive, look here, into a lake of fire burning with brimstone. And the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceeded out of his mouth, and all of the fowls were filled with their flesh. Assyria's retribution. We see that one day God's anger will be on display against the armies of the world that are contrary to uh, God's people and that the Antichrist, the Assyrian Antichrist himself, will be cast into a special place in hell where he will be utterly destroyed. Why? Because these people put their trust in the wrong alliances. They're relying on the wrong thing and it's going to lead to their destruction. And the same thing is true for me and you in the Christian life. When we're not trusting in God and we're trusting in man, we're not trusting in God, we're trusting in self, boy, we set ourselves up for punishment. We set ourselves up for trouble. And when we find that trouble, we run to a God who's waiting patiently to Restore us, and he's asking for our repentance. Let's not trust in shadows. Amen? Let's trust in the Lord God Almighty because he has a perfect track record of taking care of me and you. Let's stand together tonight for a word of prayer. I'm glad you came out. Hope the Bible study uh, was both enlightening and encouraging.